it's been a journey. It's a humbling journey for sure, because you can't just call the landlord and ask them to come over and fix whatever that's broken. And my dad was my handyman. My dad moved away. So it's been very, very humbling for me to have to go on uh, YouTube and ask Dr. Google <laughs> to fix things. Because like I said, my the way my dad raised me is that you try and fix it yourself before you call someone else. Welcome to the Millennials and Money Podcast, a podcast dedicated to help millennials to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and investment advisor representative, Payne Boyer, invites millennial guests on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey, what's going on, guys? And welcome to another exciting episode of the Millennials and Money Podcast. I'm your host, as always, investment advisor representative with Homes Financial, Peyton Boyer. And this week, I got another exciting guest. This week, I got a very exciting guest. She's actually the, the girlfriend of a previous guest and the friend of another previous guest. Her name is Sydney Wynn. Cindy, say hello. Hello, everyone. Yeah, Cindy is a registered nurse. She's got a great money story, and I'm excited to hear that. So, Cindy, why don't you introduce who you are today and what you do for a living? Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Wynn. I am a registered nurse at UC Davis Medical Center. I don't know if that's allowed to be said or not, but that's where I work. I'm a labor and delivery nurse. I've been a nurse now for six and a half years, and um, it's been an incredible journey, not an easy one, but an incredible one nonetheless. Um, I live in Sacramento. I've lived here now for about six years, I want to say. Yeah, it's been six years since I've moved to Sacramento. I'm originally from the Bay Area. And Sacramento has grown on me a lot. I didn't like it at first, but I went to school here at Sac State. And now I'm here, I don't know for how long, but so far I'm enjoying it. Yeah, that's funny. Um, Myra was on, her episode was probably going to air about a week before yours. And she talked about you guys Growing up, you guys have known each other for like since you're like little kids, I guess. Yeah, we've known each other since she was four and I was five. And her house was literally seven houses down from mine. And um, when she would come over, I could see her walking from my window. <laughs> so, yeah, she we are from Fairfield and that's our hometown. I lived there for 23 years and my parents don't live there anymore, but I still think about it quite a bit. It's funny, you know, so many people come from the Bay up to Sac and a few of us like, this is home. Like, it grew on me too. I came here a whole lot younger. Like, I'm from Sacramento, mm -hmm. uh, but I did move. Like, you know, when you first move here, you think, I'm I'm never, this is never going to be home to me. But yeah. I, Sacramento has a culture that's not for everybody, but for the people it's for, like, I can't see myself really. This will, I think I'll always be home for me. I might live somewhere else, but this is my home. Yeah. And that's how Brandon feels about this place too. And I never understood it because in college, there was literally nothing to do in Sacramento. We would go to Davis to go out and go drink, but we didn't have Doco. We didn't have that downtown area that's very live and popping right now. But yeah, it was it was just farmland and I just went to school here. Otherwise there was nothing here besides the river, but I don't even go to the river. So yeah, Sacramento 
there's little quirks to it that people don't know when, until you live here. And it's just a mix of city life, but suburbs, but I don't know. It's just so, it's a weird, but fun, cool city, I would say. But it's grown a lot, I would say, from when I first went to school here. And I don't know if you can agree with that, uh, how Sacramento is now. Yeah, if you think it's grown, I came here probably 10 years before you did. So it was literally nothing. So to (laughs) see Doko now, like when I was growing up downtown, like when I was 21, downtown had like two bars maybe. It was nothing like it is now. So uh, these kids who are growing up here, who are turning 21 here, they actually have a nightlife they can go to in Sacramento. That wasn't a thing when I was when I was when I was their age. But yeah, I've seen it develop so much. So before we kind of get into your money story and hear about you and your journey with money, I always like to talk about how I know my guests, especially the ones that I know personally. So you and I, we are both fellow Toastmasters. We met in the Toastmasters group, both looking to work on my speaking. I, I, I did it because I, number one, I host a podcast. And really the main reason is I'm in the presentation business. As a financial advisor, it's my job to present plans to my clients in a way they understand. So I really want to work on my uh, presentations. But you, being a nurse, what brought you into Toastmasters? Uh, Actually, it was Brandon that brought me into Toastmasters. He was the one that talked about this place for a long time. And I think I joined in 2019, and he had talked about it for ages and ages. And he even uh, showed me his speech from, I can't remember when, but he just talked about how much benefits he would get from it and how amazing it was, how his mentor encouraged him to go. And I had never heard about Toastmasters until I started dating him. But when I went and I saw how amazing this, and you know, Peyton, you haven't seen it at its full power and, But when I first went to Toastmasters, I was blown away. And I remember going to the first meeting and crying because whoever gave the speech gave such a powerful speech that it moved me. And it was his last day. And there was one thing that he said to me that day that really made me feel like I mattered. My story mattered and that I I had a story to tell. And everyone has a story to tell, but we tend to dim our own light. And he said to me, because I said to him, wow, I don't think I could ever have a story like that to tell. I don't think I could ever be like you. He's like, why why are you comparing yourself to me? And why are you acting like your story doesn't matter? And your tears right now, it really says a lot about who you are for you to cry and you just got here. And it stuck with me until now. And Toastmasters for me, um, it really has helped me in in my relationship with Brandon. We'll have relationship meetings where it's almost like an evaluation. And if there's something going on with us, it's like the sandwich technique is like, you know, you did really awesome here and here. What I would like is maybe this to change, but overall did amazing. And <laughs> I really feel like that's our relationship now. And it's because of Toastmasters that we have that platform or that, that, um, that format to be able to give each other feedback and not necessarily criticism, but just ways to 
not necessarily put all point the finger at the other person, but take some responsibility too. And I would say even in my uh, relationships at work, I would say so many critical conversations that I had have been successful because of Toastmasters. So I didn't really come into Toastmasters with a mission to become a better speaker. I just was curious because Brandon had talked so much about it. And then I thought maybe I could be a life coach one day. And there were other avenues, like maybe I could give a TED talk one day, but overall, I didn't really have a plan to going into it. I just went into it just like I went into this with an open mind and knowing that the discomfort would create some kind of growth for me. That's good. You said a lot there. And, and you gave Toastmasters a shout out. So <laughs> if you guys are, have any interest, reach out to me. We send me an email on my uh, on the show notes. I'll be glad to tell you all about Toastmasters. It's a great investment. No matter what you're looking to gain out of it, I'm pretty sure you will. Um, what, so you touched on one thing I want to make sure I, I, I comment on. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it'll come back to me in a bit. You know, this is, again, <laughs> again, this, this podcast is all about um, people's money story, mm-hmm. and, you know, and their relationship with money and their journey. And you know, I find that the cornerstones of someone's money mindset get set in place at a young age. Of course, they can always be moved around, but that's where that initial foundation kind of gets put in place. So let's go back there. Uh, Cindy, what was money like for you and your household growing up? And where did you grow up? I grew up in Fairfield and my dad was the sole breadwinner. My mom did not work. She went to school. He he allowed her to go to school. That sounds kind of funny, but like he allowed her to go to school and he decided to be the main breadwinner. But my dad was a correctional officer for 20 years until 2008. Um, and money for us was actually, in my mind, there was never any like, there was never any issue with money up until 2008, because I think that's just the way my dad made it feel for us. He never made us think that money was an issue just because we got to do so much as kids and the freedom that we had as kids was, I, I would say, endless. But my dad was cheap, though. He was he would find ways to, you know, save money where he could. And so there was no AC during summer. Mm-hmm. There was no heat during winter. There was, if I wanted to drink Gatorade, I would have to buy the can and just <laughs> pour it into the bottle that I already have and shake it up and have Gatorade that way. So there were little things that he did. Like we never ate out. We always ate at home. So even though he was a sole breadwinner and I felt like money was endless, there was things that he he made sure that we did so that we didn't have to spend money in that arena. So my dad, I think, instilled in me to spend money on things that were worth it and you know find ways to make other things work like a lot of do it yourself um because we went to Hawaii almost every year and I had a timeshare and we would go to Hawaii every year so it never felt like I I had any issues with money but then in 2008 when the market crashed that's when my dad that was the first time I saw my dad really depressed and I, I that was the first time I saw my rock just so shattered and it broke my heart 
And so uh, I quit sports and I got a job at uh, Six Flags just so that my parents wouldn't have to worry about me because I was going into my senior year and I didn't want them to have to worry about paying for things for me. And that's when I really learned the amount, <laughs> like the value of a dollar, because I would have to drive to Vallejo from Fairfield and I would make on the weekends, I think it was like $8 an hour. So I calculated it's $32, but then there's tax. So you really only take home $26 and then you got to fill up your tank of gas. And then, and then it's like, you're left with what, 10 bucks for the week. So I think from an early age, I really learned the value of a dollar and all those things that my dad taught me when I was younger and how to, how to increase your offense and, you know, or increase your defense and increase your offense with money really is still instilled with me today. And there are times when I do choose a cheaper option or I choose to do things myself just because I know how much money I could save. And I don't go for just convenience. I go for having to work a little bit harder, but saving money in the end of it. So I would say that's kind of a good summary of my my money strategy is trying to do most things myself and finding ways to save money so that I can do things I enjoy like traveling. So I can do things I enjoy like home improvement. But yeah, I think that's a summary of my money story. It sounds like you kind of learned to sacrifice for the things that you really value. Sacrifice yeah. the ease for and the convenience of some things so you can afford the things that you actually really value. And it mm -hmm. sounds like that that was kind of what your dad communicated to you. So talk to me about, first of all, were there any communications around money at home growing up? Did your dad talk to you about preparing you to, to go off on your own and how to manage money? Was there any communication between you and your dad? No, I wouldn't say there was direct communication about money, but... Uh... I know he always instilled in me to try to find a good job with, with benefits and all of that. But there was never a, I can't even recall a single conversation about like taxes or how to save your money. And it wasn't until I was older that he started talking to me about that, but I honestly can't remember. And I, I think it's because I had to learn on my own what the value of a dollar really meant. And so I don't think I, there was never a conversation about investments. He did talk about stocks, but he never himself invested in stocks. He talked about retirement, but him, he himself never taught me anything about 403 or 401k, all of those things. Okay. So, so you mentioned 2008 and how old were you in 2008? If you don't mind me asking. Uh... In 2008, you were I 17, 18. I was 15, 16, maybe 16. I think I was 16 because I was going to my senior year. So I think 16, 2018. Yeah, I was 16. I okay. was 16. So you were 16. Because that's the legal age to work. When I was 15 and a half, I got my license, and at 16, I was able to work. Okay. So you were 16, uh, going into recession. Um, and you realize how it impacts your dad. You, you must have been pretty observant because like, I, I was 21 at the time of the recession. Even I myself, I didn't really fully comprehend or see what was going on financially in the world at, at the time. Well, what was it? What, how, what made you, do you think, 
what's the word I'm looking for? What was it that, that you noticed to see that, you know, I better start helping provide because my dad's stressing. What was it that you saw to make you aware of what was going on in the world at the time at only 16? I think, it, I mean, my dad played the news every morning and I think they talked about job layoffs and how the stock market crashed. And he himself even said, people at work are getting past the pink paper and the pink paper is usually the sign of like, it's time to go, it's time to retire, time to get fired. And that was one thing. And then my dad also talking about how, you know, we won't be able to go to Hawaii anymore. And this will be our last vacation for a long time. And my mom, I think, repeating to me over and over again, we have to watch where we spend our money and we can't just go shopping anymore like we used to. So I think it was just so many different things. And I think the news really, um, every morning it, at six to eight o'clock, the news was playing in my house. So it was almost apparent, if not just right in my face that there was financial issues going on in the whole world or just the United States, I should say. So, so, so what made you, um, you know, it's so rare to see a kid, a young kid, 16, wanting to go help. Like, is that something that you've always been that, that, that in your personality, like to not want to just be a, to, to want to contribute. Is that just part of who you are? I think um, growing up, I just didn't want to be a burden to my parents. And I wanted, I think there was a moment actually when I was eight or nine, when my parents, well, my mom was talking about them getting a divorce potentially. And that kind of shook my world. And from then on, I really was trying to keep my family, my parents together. Hmm. And in that way, kind of flip the responsibility to me where I just didn't want to constantly burden my parents for things. And I, I think that's really where things turn on a dial for me. Um, it's very specific, but I, I do remember not wanting to cause any more problems in the house, knowing that my dad had this stressful job and he'd come home and my mom talked about divorce and all of this. So I think at an early age, I just didn't want to be a burden for my parents anymore. And then seeing how shook my dad was from losing his job made me think like maybe I should contribute somehow or take some kind of burden off of him because I was a kid that, I mean, you have to spend money on your kids. And I was one of those kids that they had to spend money on because I did sports, because I like to go shopping, things like that. So to me, what I could, whatever I could do to alleviate my parents' stress and pain, I wanted to help them with. That's a lot for a kid to carry. That, yeah, that, it is. <laughs> even with the, the whole divorce thing, like, and you trying to so hard, are you an only child? No, I have two older brothers, but I think I was home mostly because I talked to my uh, brother, my middle brother about this. He was like, I don't remember any of that. Yeah. But he would he was out just skateboarding and living his life. So he never I was at home. I feel like taking on the burden of things. Uh, the, the, the way a girl or a woman, a girl at the time, like is aware of the situation is completely different than the way a boy or a man is. Yeah. As adult men, like we don't really see what's going on. I mean, like we, <laughs> we we can't really read in between the I don't want to generalize too much, but for the yeah. most part. Yeah. 
the people I know, it's harder for us to read between the lines. We are really like big picture kind of, so I'm not surprised. That, <laughs> our parents didn't have any problems. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, that was his response. He's like, I don't remember mom and dad wanting to get a divorce. I'm like, well, you weren't even around to listen. You weren't even around to hear all the things that were going down in the house. So it's just it's funny. You know, I don't know if you have siblings, Peyton, but you have siblings, but you all grow up to be so different and you have such a different childhood experience, very similar, but very different at the same time. Yeah, that, that's true. I have I have three siblings, actually. So, yeah, I know exactly. And we all had the similar experience, but very different experience based on the I'm a middle child. I'm, I'm one of the two middle children. <laughs> so we all have different experiences and different relations with each of our parents. It's just um, it's funny. But so let's talk about you earning money. Mm-hmm. Did you, how'd you, you weren't making too much money as you were going to high school, but you got an idea of, you know, this is mine now. Mm-hmm. I'm earning, yeah, I'm doing it to help out my family, but I have some of my own money now. What mm-hmm. are some of your first experiences with money as you began to earn? I mean, like I said, with just, paying for gas for the first time, I, it was just shocking to me how much it would take to fill up my tank. So that was all a shock to me. Uh, after Six Flags, I actually worked at TJ Maxx after, and I felt like I was worked to the bone there. And I remember there was this one experience I remember specifically about this woman, this woman, I was cleaning up the shoe aisle and this woman picked up these yellow, bright yellow sandals. And she's like, oh, these are so ugly. And I'm like, yeah, they are ugly in my head. <laughs> and then she's like, let me see what brand this is. And she's like, oh, Juicy Couture? It's kind of cute. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God, you're paying $100 for these Juicy Couture sandals, even though they're ugly? Like, wow, wow. You have your priority. You don't have your priorities in the right place. And from then on, I was... I, that kind of like turned me on a dial too, where I was like, there are some people who really just spend their money on dumb things. And it also made me realize, you know, as a teenager, you want to dress impressed, right? But you don't need to wear brand names to be, to come off attractive or to come off like dress well. And so I think that experience for me made me realize like, People spend all this money on designer things that aren't even cute and still don't know how to dress. And so that was kind of my experience of, you know, I could shop at Payless and make an outfit look bomb, but there are people there dressing designer brands and don't know how to dress. So I realized then it was like money doesn't make you more attractive in that way. Money can't make you more attractive. Like maybe you're not attracting the right people, but I think that experience of working in retail made me realize people don't spend money in a smart way. And I think that also compounded on the fact that the way my dad raised me too, because growing up, I didn't wear brand name shoes until middle school. And my dad would take me to big five and say, pick any shoe you want. And I would pick $20 shoes and I would wear it for six years. So for me, it's always been like things, things kind of just started clicking once I started making money because 
That's why my dad took me to these places to shop. That's why he didn't let me spend money on certain things because in the end, it wasn't worth it. In the end, it's just a name brand. So I think that's part of it. And um, yeah, I can't really think of anything else. Maybe it'll just come to me, but yeah. But that that shows you like the value that people put on a brand. Mm-hmm. Like just the value, just like something that you both thought was ugly. That was ugly. It, so <laughs> it, it was ugly. It is ugly, but... And the just the name being on something can change someone's whole opinion on something. Like, oh, we know these are kind of cute. Mm-hmm. But two seconds ago, they were ugly until you saw the name brand on there. And it shows the kind of consumerism mentality that us as Americans have many times. Like we are we are conditioned to be consumers. Mm-hmm. We're conditioned to pay more just based on the brand, not even necessarily how we feel about it. And it's just something that I'm glad at a young age you 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 were aware of. So let's talk about let's fast forward a bit. You've got kind of the you've kind of got the foundation. You've learned to earn money. Well, when you were earning money, did you did you have a habit of saving? What were you spending money on when you began to earn? I was spending money on food number one because food is an experience to me, and I think that's worth it. If I'm going to go out with my friends, I was spending money on food, and I was spending we money got, on we, gas. We got we got to pause there because that's my favorite thing to buy. <laughs> I love food. Like for me personally, the my experience, whether it's good or not, is really many times, not all the time. Hawaii is like the exception. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, my experience, whether I had a good experience or not, is tied to what I ate while I was there. It, yes. And it's it's not like something I I I don't I didn't realize it until my wife pointed out like everything you want to do is around food. <laughs> I got. I I used to be a fat kid, and now I know why. It's like I love food. I just love it. But yeah. it's like my, and like for me, that's an experience though. So when I do my budget, like I have my entertainment budget, I will recategorize food I buy into my entertainment budget because to me, it's the whole experience of eating with people I enjoy and being around. It's the whole thing. Like I don't mm-hmm. mind spending money in areas I value, and that's an area I value. We're going to pause for a commercial break and hop right back. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your host and investment advisor representative for the Homes Financial, Peyton Boyer. I hope you enjoyed the show. It's my job to understand my clients' financial goals and work alongside them to design a plan to reach those goals. If you're looking at editing your own money story, I'm here to help. Give me a call to schedule your free one-hour consultation, either via Zoom or in person. My phone number is 916-271-1974 or click the link to send me an email below. Have an awesome week. Hey, welcome back to Millennials of Money podcast, guys. I'm here with my guest, registered nurse Cindy Wynn, and we are hearing about her money story. She's telling us how how she how it was for her out there getting it, growing her own, beginning to earn her own really realizing the value of a dollar and things that she appreciated and she enjoyed. So Cindy, we talked about you working at uh, Six Flags, working at TJ Maxx, uh, you, you, and today you're a nurse. Let's talk about the, what happened in between TJ Maxx and actually becoming a nurse. What was that like? Did you, did you know you are going to school right away? Um, did you always want to be a nurse? Uh, what is it that made you want to be a nurse in the first place? And when did you decide? 
when I was, I think, 15 or 16. A lot of things happened when I was 15 or 16, I guess. That was a very pinnacle time of my life. But my anatomy teacher had offered a couple of us uh, this opportunity to go to this experience called nurse camp where students from all around Fairfield got to high school students all around Fairfield got to go to the hospital and experience what it's like to be a nurse so for three days we had this experience of putting on casts on each other and injecting oranges with syringes and watching watching a helicopter fly down and it was it was a very specific experience but they did it so that they could recruit more nurses essentially at a young age and it left an impression on me just because of the stories that the nurses would tell during that experience and literally from then on I I knew I knew right then and there I wanted to become a nurse and that's kind of a very unique thing I didn't realize until I was older for kids to know what they want to do at that age. You know, when you graduate high school, you always have an idea of what you want to do, but it doesn't always turn out that way. But for me, I had a plan and I remember looking at my, uh, my math, my pre-calc class, there was a chart on there that said how to become a nurse Hmm. and how, like what classes you had to take. And I made sure to take statistics, AP statistics in high school. So I wouldn't have to take math at all in college. And I took AP stats. I passed the AP test, didn't have to take math in college. And I just knew that it was, that's where I wanted to go. But it was a long road to get there because classes were hard to take. I went to Sac State, not an easy program to get in. And I applied the first time I got rejected and I applied the second time and I got in, but Yeah, it was really from nurse camp at 16, 15, 16 years old that I knew. And that's such a blessing to to know where you want to be at age 16, to know. And it shows like whoever that teacher was who hooked you guys up with that anatomy class and got you to go to that camp. It's at 16 is so moldable. Like you like these are where where you can really get into ideas and plan, like who you're going to become is are in those high school years. Of course, it can always change. And the, the, I don't want to say a set in stone from high school, but for a large portion of society, who they become is in those four years that you're in high school. And to have a teacher that cared enough and said, this saw something in to say, listen, I want to give you this opportunity that not a lot of people get. Not a lot of people, no one I know got an opportunity to go to a nursing camp in high school. And it, made you who you are today like it's like this is oh this is what i want to do and that's awesome that you had not that's a real blessing shout out to that teacher whoever chose you dr aldrich wherever you are mm-hmm. shout out to you yeah that's an that's awesome so and it, it ties back into what i do with financial planning in mm-hmm. the sense that when i meet with my clients we have a goal we have a goal in mind of who they want to be and where they want to be and when once you have that goal it's a whole lot easier to plan for it because you have your eye on the prize. You said you saw that map, how to be a nurse. Okay, I know where I want, I see the destination. Not like a lot of times when I meet with my clients, the first thing we do is paint that destination and let's start designing a map and getting there. So talking about that process, what was that process like of having a plan to reach a goal? And I'm sure the plan changed and you had to make adaptations, never a straight, straight line there. And I'm sure there's always adjustments, but sticking 
what what was it like accomplishing that goal? Like the feeling of accomplishment and uh, playing for something and accomplishing. What was that whole feeling like? The whole experience. What was that like? Well, during the experience, it was very difficult. But the end result, I remember getting the phone call when I got hired at UC Davis. I was at Food Max with my mom, and I got the phone call. And they also told me how much I would make. And I was just like, <sighs> I was just so shocked because I had never seen that much money in my life. And yeah, it was it was an interesting experience because at the time, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I did graduate top 10 of my class. And in high school, in a lot of the people that were in the top 10 were going to schools like Berkeley and New York and wherever else, West Point, I don't know where they were going, but I just felt kind of a shame in myself that I was just going to Sac State. And at the time, there a lot of kids were calling it uh, AP Solano College, which was the community college in Fairfield. So they were just kind of diminishing my plans, even though I had researched which schools had nursing programs because I applied for a lot of schools, but not a lot of them had nursing programs that you could just graduate in four years. So I did a lot of research about it. And I talked to my high school counselor, which one, where is the ones that have the nursing schools that I can get into. And so Sac State was always my goal because I knew they had a nursing program. I could take my prereqs and then I can just get in. What I didn't know was how hard it was to get into Sac State's program. And you pretty much had to have all A's to get into the program. But I found out that you could kind of not manipulate your way in, but you could take, so if you got a B in a class, you could go to community college and get an A in that class and use that grade instead of the one you got at Sac State. So I had to do that a couple of times where I would take summer school at a community college and I got a B in microbiome at Sac State. And I had to do what I had to do to get in the program because I applied once and I couldn't get in with my three B's out of all my grades. I had three B's and I still couldn't get in. And so I did all, I did my classes at Sac State during the day until about from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then I would drive from Sacramento to Vallejo just to take another microbiome class from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And I was still working then and I was commuting from Fairfield. So there was a lot of sacrifice with my time, but also a lot of energy. But at the end of it, it was so worth it. And the journey to become a nurse was hard, too. And there were times at that point, it was really C's get degrees. (laughs) But um yeah, and but as soon I remember that feeling. I was really I can remember the moment I got hired at UC Davis and it was just I was overwhelmed with emotion because I had also gotten an interview previous to that and I had I thought I had nailed that interview, but the woman never called me back and I was telling my mom too after I got up that interview like you're looking at the new employee of UC Davis and I didn't get the job and I was so embarrassed and I was ashamed, but they called me maybe two months later and hired me for a different position. And I was just so grateful for that, but it was a long journey and I still work during it because I think in myself, I just didn't want to completely depend on my parents anymore for financial help. So I would, I think at one point I had two jobs and I was commuting 
and I was doing an internship. Um, it was a lot, but I uh, had the mentality that my parents had of, you know, you work hard so that you can play hard later. And those accomplishments, though, it's, I know you can't, the feeling of accomplishments are just, it's just awesome, especially something like that, a huge goal like that you got when you were 16 and you had a map. And like you said, it changed. The, the, the roadmap changed. You know, I thought I was going to do this here, but I didn't get an A. I got a B. So now I'm going to community college, but I'm still going to make the necessary adjustments to reach the end goal. And that's what can only be done when you have an end goal in sight, when you have that vision in sight. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like planning for something and accomplishing it. So I'm just so proud of you. That's awesome. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> like the, the reason why I do hikes and stuff is so I can accomplish it. Like, yeah. and like, I know it's a, so much loud on such a lesser scale, but the feeling of planning for something, having a goal in mind, accomplishing it, it's, it's just a great feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do with my clients when it comes to financial planning. It sounds like that's what you did when it came to planning for school. So let's talk about that grind during those years. Like, what was it like financially? I know you had some, you're, you're depending on your parents for some. You were doing a lot. You had a full load, full class load. You're working, you're commuting. What was that balancing act like to be able to survive that, that struggle, that grind? Yeah. Well, you know, it, I remember a very specific moment during my freshman year. There was this class that was I was in and my professor, Dr. Parsh, asked us to visualize ourselves in, in scrubs. This was before I got into the nursing program, but it was like that visualization. And I don't know if you have heard of this, but there's so much power in visualizing being in that place you want to be first before you get there. And I remember her specifically saying, can you visualize yourself in green scrubs, walking the halls of Sac State. Can you do it? Can you literally feel yourself be there? Can you feel yourself walking those halls and wearing these scrubs and knowing that you're in the nursing program and that you're on the way to becoming a nurse? And that was something that really stuck with me and up until now, honestly. And I still talk to Dr. Parsh about it because it's, it's something that was so profound to me and it manifested itself so anytime the grind got hard I would visualize myself being there and feeling that feeling of wearing those scrubs and feeling like the wind on my face and walking those halls and feeling so proud of myself for wearing those scrubs so when things got hard and scheduling was not easy and social life. I really felt like I sacrificed a lot of social life during college, but I still made time for it when I could. And I I think I also have like an insane amount of energy because when Brandon asked me how much sleep I got in college, I would tell him like maybe like four to six hours of sleep. And to him, that's insane. But for me, that's normal. Like I would go during my clinicals, I would go to the gym right after clinicals and clinicals ended at like 8 PM. I'd be at the gym till 11 and then I wake up at five o'clock and I just do it all again. So for me, I think I just been blessed with a lot of insurmountable of energy and willpower, I guess, to be able to get to where I want to be, but also knowing that I have a goal and I have that visualization of what I want my life to look like and what I want my life to feel like, and also kind of 
proving people wrong that I didn't just go to AP Solano College. Like I have a goal and Sac State, as much as you guys want to make fun of me for going to Sac State, there's a, there ain't no way I'm going to be in student debt when I leave. And that was also a thing too, where I applied for grants and I applied for scholarships. And I would say for the first two years of college, I didn't pay a single dime and they paid me. And I, I got to get a laptop from it. And uh, yeah, I would say I, I, from the things that my dad instilled in me to find ways to make things work or, you know, find money. Cause he said, money's out there. You just have to go look for it. And I did, and I got it. And I graduated from Sac State without any debt. My parents did help me for a couple of the years, but I would say half of the time I was there, I, my parents didn't have to pay a single dime for my schooling. And that's huge. And it goes back to what was instilled in you as a child, like, Seeing your dad find that there's ways to there's more affordable ways to do to do things. Like you said, you're at Sac State. It's not, it's not you might you might some might have their own opinions about it, but hey, listen, I'm graduating with no debt. That's huge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still UC. It's still a UC. Mm-hmm. Who do you know mm-hmm. that graduates from UC with no debt? So that's awesome that you did that. Again, it's something that you have to be intentional about. You have to plan for. So so let's let's go there. You're you're out of college. You, you're, you're done with med school now. You don't have any, you got out of Sac State with no debt. You're making, you got the call. Wow, I'm making that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what that was like. What's it like making more money than you ever had in the past? And how'd you manage it? And was it, was there like, I call it lifestyle creep when you're making more money and you're spending more money or were you managing? What was that like? Honestly, I I think my dad impounded those values in me so heavily that I was afraid to spend a single dime. Like I I think my first purchase was a GoPro from my friend and I paid her $300 for it. And I was like, oh my God, I just paid $300 out of my pocket for this GoPro. And I don't know, I don't know how like that's gonna affect me, how that's gonna affect my bank account, but it didn't, it was barely a drop in the hat. So for me, it was like, dang, I have money, but I was still afraid to spend it. So I would say, and also um, I had a great, I had a great setup for myself. So when I got the job, I actually had moved back uh, previously after I graduated from Sac State and my last semester of nursing school. So I was still, I was at home and I wasn't paying rent. I was just paying for gas to get to school. But when I graduated and I got my job, I lived with my friend who let me stay at her place for three fifty a month, hmm. which is like nothing. And that was, it included everything. So everything that I made was mine. And I just put all of it into my savings account. And like I said, I didn't, know anything about stocks or investments or anything like that. So I was just saving money and I would go travel when I wanted to, but I really didn't spend that much money. I think in my first year of nursing, I saved like 15 grand. Wow. Yeah. And no, that that's awesome that you were saving and not spitting and not wasting it. But yeah. I do find a lot of times people get into what like a scarcity. They think mm-hmm. of money as a scarcity and they they kind of hoard it up and they don't spend it in that way. But the, the problem with that is those people are not enjoying their life. I'm not mm-hmm. saying you necessarily have to spend money to enjoy your life, but 
They get literally scared to spend money. And I, mm-hmm. I mentioned that only because you talked about the GoPro and that experience. Um, I'm assuming you're not still in that point to where you're coming from that scarcity mindset. But what was it like dealing with that when you're now you're making more money than ever before and you don't want to use it because you want to be a good steward of it is what it comes down to. But what, how did you deal with that? How did you cope with it? How did you come over the fact that, hey, you know, I have money. I don't have to be scared. I, I have money. I have a great job. And I, I deserve these things. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't think that it took me a while, but something you just said just triggered it in my head that I think during then I felt like I wasn't deserving of money, but I read this book. I can't remember who it's by, but it's called You Are a Badass at Making Money. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it or not, but I think my mindset then, and I was spending money, like I still went on trips. I remember going to Hawaii and Vegas my first year after working, but I still had that like fear of spending it. And I had a fear of, Think I think truthfully coming off as like, I'm someone who makes a ton of money, like it's all in your face. But in this book, she really kind of helped me change my mindset in that it was more of, you are deserving of money. You are deserving of this income because you're, if you had all the money in the world, I think this is something, a prompt that she had in the book. Imagine if you had all the money in the world, what would you do with it? And I I think prior to that question being asked to me, it was like thinking like rich people are snobs and they just spend money on useless things. But for me, I know that if I had a lot of money, I know the first thing I would do would be help my parents with whatever they had to pay off. I would, I, I know that I would do good things with the money I have. And I think that's what really changed my perspective is that just because you have money doesn't mean you're a bad person. And I think for a long time, I was connecting those two for a long time. And that was the association. But the truth is having money is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. It can give you so many opportunities to to do great things for people. And I didn't have that mindset until after I read that book, because in my whole life, my dad was like, save money, save money. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. But truth is, at the end of the day, I really feel in my heart, the more you give, the more you get back. And it really set me free to feel like I do deserve to spend this money that I've worked so hard for. I do deserve these experiences in life because I've worked so hard to be able to be here. And I I kind of do a balance of the scales where if I do spend an amount of money, I do also give a lot of money away too. And it's kind of just like a, a my like karma for the world, I guess, to kind of balance out the scales. So I am really now in a place where I, I'm not so strict with myself with spending money because life is short and you can die tomorrow and have a whole bunch of money in your bank account and not do anything with it. So I think that book really changed my life uh, or my perspective on money. And it was incredible because there's a certain mantra in there where when I kept doing it, money just kept coming in. And I couldn't even explain it. Like I would get checks in the mail from like TJ Maxx. It was like a lawsuit or something. But every time I said this, like 
this mantra money would just come to me so freely and abundantly. And I didn't believe it until, until it happened to me personally. I was like, dang. No, I, I ask my question, my clients that all the time. If you had all the money in the world, how would you live your life? Because yeah. what it does is it really helps you understand what your values are. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the same thing, but just today a client was, she's like, you know, she thought at first she had no budget. She was spending money aimlessly. And I asked the question, and then she's like, I spend time with my family. I get my family at East Oakland. I take care of my kids. I buy my insight. That's what you value. Like, yeah. so don't don't say you don't know what you value. You might you never might never sit down and talk about what is you value. And you might have a, you might cannot connect money with some positive things. Mm-hmm. But in reality, for the most part, most people ask that question when they really get down what their values are. It's always about others. It's always about mm-hmm. helping. It's always about giving. And when you when you align your the problem is there's a dis, disconnect between their spending and their values, and that's yeah. when people, that's when that's when people are either bad stewards of money and they use it aimlessly, or they just are like you or it's scarcity. But when you align mm-hmm. your spending with your values, yeah. you're in a good place. And you're in, yeah. that, that, I don't even call it a budget; I call it a money purpose plan because mm-hmm. you gotta give those dollars a purpose, and that purpose has to be towards your values. And yeah. it sounded like then it sent the house with my clients. It sounded like once you read that book and saw that, like you were free. Like you got yeah. you, get, you freed yourself. And and, and you, again, you work hard for your money, you in particular. Mm-hmm. Now I know that you are, you just mentioned that you were a regular RN, but now you're in the uh what's the labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. Now I've had a baby. Anyone who has a baby. No, I didn't have a baby. I, I, my wife had a baby. I, I don't want to take credit. I don't want to take, I'm not taking credit. My wife had a baby. I was there. I, I was just there. But that that nurse does so much, at least in my case, the nurse yeah. does so much. Like the doctor, push, push, and he's gone. <laughs> in my case, the doctor's been there for like 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. It yeah. wasn't even my pre, pre what's it called prenatal or pre. It, it wasn't even that same doctor. That doctor took a day off. So like, <laughs> so literally, I saw the doctor that delivered my son for like ten minutes. Yeah. But my wife was in labor for like twenty something hours, and the yeah. nurse was there just putting in the work. So you do deserve it. Talk to me about what that's been like to be such a huge part of someone's. So literally, this Friday, our next Friday, the fourth, I'm going to um, dinner at my labor and delivery nurse's house. Like. They've been a huge impact in my life. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Because it gave me like, like that that mom and just talking about the mom of my kids being born. Yeah. That's like the 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 fact that you helped me. And my son, my son's birth was like high risk. Mm-hmm. She's told me that now. She didn't tell me that during the mom. She's like, your son was a high risk delivery. I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to make you guys frightened. But mm-hmm. I was like, and like the fact that you gave me that, like. To be able to do that in someone's life, like I, I love what I do. And I feel like I really make an impact on someone's life. But what you do, man, it's gotta be so rewarding. Talking about what that experience has been like in labor and delivery and literally seeing those lives. What has that been like? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think in general, everyone has some kind of value that they can add. You know, I I think it's really great when you enjoy what you do and and it kind of reflects on your values too, but I really, 
I wasn't always a labor and delivery nurse. And there were times when I felt very unappreciated for the things I did, because as a nurse, we do so much. And I think people are unaware of, yes, it's good money, but it's also so much work that goes behind it. So much work. And, you know, you're in people's most vulnerable states. And I just feel so honored and blessed that I can hold space for people when they're going through things like you went through. And if whether it's a birth or a loss, I'm there and I can, I'm really the person that can make or break your experience. And I feel so honored that I can really hold space for people in times when they are just not sure if they can do it or they can't do it. And it feels so good to love what you do. I mean, there, I'm not gonna lie, it's hard because <laughs> I'm there emotionally, mentally, and physically. I, I couldn't do it. I, could, I couldn't do it. I couldn't <laughs> see a baby. Like, women are tough. Like, I know there's men nurses too, but yeah. like, I couldn't see, I couldn't do what you do. Cause I yeah. couldn't see a little baby like that. That doesn't, I couldn't do that. Yeah. It just, it's, I mean, I really respect what you do. And I, it's got, but I, the rewarding side to know that you played such a role in this, literally like in this kid's life, this yeah. kid who's going to become a man, who's going to, some kid you deliver is going to impact the world. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, that's got to be awesome. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And I, it was hard making the adjustment, but Lately, it's just been really good. And I I have to say, I meet some incredible parents and how grateful, just to see how grateful they are for the care I put. And, you know, it, for me, it's just kind of like routine, like every day, like I do this. But for you guys, it's not every day. It's not routine. So for you guys to show appreciation for us, it feels really great because it makes what we do feel like valuable or you know, important, but for us, you know, you do something after a while, it just becomes normal. So this is just like me operating at a normal pace, but for you guys, it's, it's a whole experience. So I, like I said, I just feel so honored to bring life into this world <laughs> and it's true. The doctor's only there for like a couple minutes and then they're gone. But like we, we do hold the fort down, I would say on our unit. It's rewarding. And you know, it's funny because I'm kind of the same way. Like we take it for granted the the, the what we do for people. Like mm -hmm. I had a client just who thought he could never retire, and yeah. like literally, like within one meeting, I showed him how it could be done, and he's like so grateful. I'm like, this is really easy, but it's not yeah. easy. It's so not. We put in we put in activity knowledge for years. Mm -hmm. So things that now that we've seen their routine, that we know what to do because we've seen the scenario before. And to us, it seems like, well, we didn't do much. All right, it was just pointed out the obvious. Yeah. But it's not the obvious to everybody. We've just put the time in. And, and like, it feels really good. It feels good to be able to help people. Like, I'm not going to compare myself to you. No, <laughs> you it's okay. <laughs> because I can't do what you do, Peyton. You also have a gift. Like, I have a gift, but you also have a gift. So it's okay to compare our gifts. Like, they're both great gifts either way. And people need both of our gifts at some point in their lives, right? So I think that don't devalue yourself because your gift is very important. And I mean, I will say I'm not one of those people that knew how to budget financially. I just I just knew that I had to save money. I didn't know. 
like my plan was always to retire early, but I don't have a plan. Like I don't have the formula that you have in your brain to help people just like figure it out like that. And I'm not really good with math. Brandon's kind of my guy, my math guy. So he does that for me. So I don't want to say, I don't want you to feel like you're devaluing what you do because it's so important too. Yeah, I do. I do feel it's important. I do appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate yeah. the love, but what you do is, I got to say, father <laughs> of a children, what you do is more important. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but um, let's, uh, let's talk about Brandon. So yeah. my, my listeners who have been longtime listeners know Brandon, Brandon Buntipo, you've heard his episode. Let's talk about how you two met and what the journey has been like as you took two financial backgrounds and merged them into one and kind of figuring out your own thing as you guys create the the you guys and not just Brandon and Cindy, but you guys are Brandon and Cindy. Let's talk yeah. about the financial merging of those two lifestyles background. How, how, how'd you meet in the first place? Oh gosh, we met in 2014 at a powerlifting competition and it wasn't either of our competition. It was just a mutual friend, but just a random way to meet someone um yeah it was just a random powerlifting competition that we had mutual friends with and we met there but he had a girlfriend then and I had just gotten uh, out of a relationship so it really wasn't we weren't thinking like oh this is the love of my life (laughs) uh yeah it was never ever like that so we were friends for a long time and we tried to date in 2016 but it was like kind of awkward and we're like, this just doesn't feel right. So we're like, okay, so we're going to just scratch each other off each other's like potential list. Like there's (laughs) no way. And then in 2018, you know, we just reconnected because I was hanging out with some of his friends, his college friends. And he's like, I hang out with my friends. And we just reconnected that way. And I was kind of like in the middle of getting out of a relationship. You know how that goes. You know, you break up, but you're like not really broken up. But, you know, Brandon just happened. He just always knocked on the door. And um, yeah, it just it finally happened in 2018 in, in winter when we decided to be a couple. And it's funny when we first started talking again like I'd go over his house and we would sit at the dinner table and we'd have like two hour conversations for like five nights in a row after I get off work and he just looked at me he's like I don't want to scare you but I really see you as my life partner and I was like what the hell like (laughs) we've only been talking for two weeks um that's crazy. And I just kind of like laughed it off. I'm like, you're crazy. Um, don't have, don't expect anything from this because something might not even happen. So don't even expect anything from him. he's like, I know, I know, but you know, it just all makes sense. Like I could see you as my life partner. And I thought that was the weirdest thing in the world, but like now we laugh about it because he was right. I mean, I really do see him as my life partner now too. Now, and, uh, yeah. No, Brandon's like that. I can see Brandon like trimming a bonsai tree. He's got like that, that, that <laughs> game. Like he's so philosophical and so like so like nurturing and calm. Like and he knows like man, I, I can see Brandon, Brandon, Brandon knows. He's like, and he told you his life partner, he made it happen. He he made he manifested and he made it happen. But you know, looking back, it did make a lot of sense 
to him. And like, I didn't see it yet just because I had so much going on in my life that I was like, there's no way, there's absolutely no way, but he was very patient. And, and he just, like I said, just kept knocking at the door. And I finally just answered and was like, yeah, you're right. You are my life partner. <laughs> Dude, that's funny, man. We would definitely have to hang. We have to go on a double date soon because our, yeah, our story is really similar. Our story is really similar. Um, <laughs> let, let's, so how's it been as you guys worked out your differences financially and kind of managing, I don't know if you guys joined finances yet or not, but what's it been like the financial journey together? He has his knowledge base. You have your knowledge base. He has his upbringing. You have your upbringing. And now you're kind of figuring out what's your, our upbringing. What's that been like? Yeah, yeah, that's, that has been, you know, it, it's nice because I would say we're pretty much on the same, how we grew up. I think we have the same values because his mom always tells the story about how she would split a whole chicken into pieces so that her and her husband could have it for the rest of the week. And she was always very tight on budgeting. So he is like, when he, when he budgets, he puts it in right away. I can't say that I'm as, as dedicated or as, uh, you know, I diligent. Just, diligent. Yes. I'm just not that diligent like he is, but right away he'll put whatever he has in his budget app. And it's very impressive to me. And I, I'm just hoping to get there one day, but you know, because we had the same values, we, we don't spend a lot of money on, on like clothes and like material things, but we do value experiences and food is our thing. And travel wasn't his thing before, but now I kind of got him to travel a lot more and experience life a little bit more. And at first he was kind of like, oh man, that's a lot of money to spend. But as he started doing it more, he's like, oh, okay, I can see the value in spending your money here. And so for me, um, I got him to spend a little bit more money on experiences and living life because I think for him, prior to dating me, it was always kind of like where I was before I read that book was like, I gotta, I gotta be financially secure. I have to have a good offense or a good defense, whatever. I just have to know that I have a certain amount in my bank account for me to feel good about my life, for me to feel good about going and spending money. I know that I have to ha have a certain number that I have to hit. And for me, it was also like, but okay, you hit this certain amount of money, but like, are you really living your life? So he kind of had to let go a little bit of that and also adopt the idea of, you know, what you give, you get back. If you're going to give to people, you know, it's okay to give them an amount of money for a gift because that eventually that's going to come back, whether it's from them or somewhere else. So that's kind of my part in our relationship, but his part in our relationship is, um, comes through with like the actual really financially smart things like Roth IRA and uh, investing in stocks and investing in, um, you know, different things. And so I think he, what his strengths are is his budgeting and telling me to start investing in Roth IRAs or not just putting all my money into my retirement or just putting some into crypto, things like that. 
Um, and uh, let's see what, I mean, like, I really feel like we're in a good spot where we are splitting everything. I do own my house too. So I do have that as kind of like this house that I have was always going to be a rental house and it still might it probably will be, but I bought this house in 2018 as an idea, as an investment for the future to have it as a rental. So that's kind of like my long-term goal is to have this place as a rental. So we're kind of just working together on creating a future where we, we can be financially free. And um, my dream is to have some income that's just passive income where I can just chill at, I don't know, 50 years old and still have money coming in. You said something there that I didn't realize, you know, I didn't realize you're a homeowner and we can never end a podcast without touching on the homeowner ownership journey of my guests. So talking about the, the journey to homeownership. Investing in real estate involves special risk, including possible declines in real estate values, adverse economic conditions, and change in interest rates and may not be suitable for all investors. I'll talk to you about the journey to homeownership. Yes. Um, how do I begin this journey? Well, I guess I have to start with my dad. I feel like lots of things stem from my dad. I would say he's kind of the sole um, motivator for me, but he owned lots of properties growing up and his goal for me, or he made it one of the things that I should do is invest in a home. Um, and he's just like, you never lose money. You always make money when you have a property. And I never really felt that way until I got my home. Um, and it honestly, I wasn't, I was just going to look because one of my good friends from kindergarten and he actually knows me and Myra, he got his, um, what is it? A mortgage license or real estate license. And he was just practicing. So I was just, just picking his brain about buying a house and possibly looking. And then suddenly couple months passed by and I'm actively looking. And then I look, I must've looked at 50 different houses and I came across this house and I had certain requirements to buy a house because I had a specific plan when I bought a house. It wasn't going to be my forever home. It was just going to be a starter home. A couple of requirements. Number one, I had to have a backyard. Number two, I had to have a garage. Number three, it had to be very close to work. And number four, it had to be relatively new, not really a fixer upper. And I almost went against my own values and my goals to get a house. When I found this house in Elk Grove, I work at UC Davis and Elk Grove is maybe like 15, 20 minutes away from Elk Grove, depending on where you live. But luckily my, my friend talked me down from putting in an offer on the house. The house I was going to buy was 385k with three bedrooms, one bath, and it was super far away. And he was, I was just about to write a letter to put in my offer, but he's like, whoa, 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 slow down. You know, your goal is not to be house broke because I think a lot of people go into buying a house, not really thinking about the mortgage they have to pay each month or the expenses they have to put in in order to keep up this house. And so instead of buying this house, he kind of broke it down to me and essentially 
with the income I had coming in and what the mortgage payments looked like, it was, I was going to be house broke. Mm-hmm. And then he went to the bathroom after he laid that down for me. And he, I, I was just searching the web and I found the house that I'm currently in and it was 285, four bedroom, two bath built in 2004, had a garage six minutes away from work had a backyard. It was literally checking off every single box that I wanted. And the mortgage payments was probably like a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars less than what I would have paid if I had bought the house in Elk Grove. Um, and I really feel that one thing my dad always said was like, you're, you're taking too much time trying to find this house and you just got to let the house come to you. And sure enough, you know, that I saw the house on online. We went to go see it 10 minutes later. I put in the offer that day. And then the next day they responded back and I got the house. I mean, I didn't get the house, but there's another person putting in an offer and I closed on the house maybe within a month. So it was um, kind of, it was very unexpected. It was probably like, I want to say five months into just, you know, just picking my friend's brain. And then I ended up buying a house and and yeah, so this house is going to be my renter house eventually. It's a good location right now, but that was my plan all along. And it just kind of, kind of just came. <laughs> that, that's awesome. And, and it shows like the importance of setting. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, I guess like something to hold you accountable. Like my house is going to have a big backyard. It's going to have a backyard. It's going to be close to work. It's going to have a garage. And it's and not not wavering on any of those things. Like there's some things that hey, these are must-haves. Mm-hmm. And saying those must-haves, especially when it comes to home ownership, because even in your case, you don't plan on staying there forever, but you're gonna be there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you want to like, and you don't want to have buy on a house, you don't want buyer's remorse. And it can happen if you and I'm almost sure it will happen if you say, Man, I should have waited for that garage, or man, I wish I was closer to work. And like that house is going to come find you. Like your dad said, it's out there, but just don't waver. And before you go out looking for a house, sit down. In my case, I say prayer about it. But if if you're not, you're not a spiritual person like that, sit down, just write down. What is you want the house? Like, what do you, what would you like to have? What do you have to have? And don't move on the have to haves. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. Be more flexible on the like to haves. But then, don't move on the half. Don't move on the half to halves. So, uh, how has it been owning a home? How how has it been as opposed to renting? Like, what's that been like? What's that journey like? Oh man. Um, well, I will tell you. Like, literally, just last night, um, Brandon came to me and was like, "Hey, did you notice the water's not hot in the shower?" And I didn't notice because it's just been hot all day. So I was like. No, it's, it felt fine to me. And sure enough, the water, I mean, the water heater, it wasn't working. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, I have to call my dad. Mm-hmm. My dad's all the way in Florida, so I have to call him the next day because at 10 p.m., it's uh, like 1 in the morning in Florida. So it's been it's been a journey. It's a humbling journey for sure because you can't just call the landlord and ask them to come over and fix whatever that's broken and my dad was my handyman. My dad moved away. So it's been very, very humbling for me to have to go on uh, YouTube and ask Dr. Google 
to fix things because like I said, my the way my dad raised me is that you try and fix it yourself before you call someone else. So it's been honestly so humbling in the best way. And one thing I heard the other day was, you know, you're, you're as a baby, you're not born with these skills to fix things. You, you learn as you go and you get humble. You just have to go out and try it. And it's, I, to be a landlord is, is very different. And I also had um, people who rented the rooms from me and whenever things were going wrong and I was on vacation, it was very stressful because it's like, Oh my God, like, how do I, how do I tell you how to fix the problem? How do I tell you to go find the breaker box to turn the electricity back on? So a lot of responsibility for sure, but humbling. It's, um, you know, there's so many young people who think they want to be, uh, they want to get in real estate. They want to be real estate investors, and that's great. But being a landlord is not fun. You know, <laughs> the people will call, a renter will call you at two in the morning, and they have the right to. They should call you if something goes wrong with your property, and you don't necessarily be the one to be the one taking those calls. Uh, and you think about passive income, but it's not always passive. It's not completely passive when you first start. But um, that's awesome. That's like you mentioned. You what year did you buy a home? A four bedroom, a four bedroom. 2018, 2018. I snuck right in there. You snuck right in there. So let's talk about <laughs> appreciation. What's your homework now and what'd you purchase it for? Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Um, I feel like I get emails every week on what my house is worth now. But when I bought it, uh, originally I put in an offer for 295. The appraisal came back and it came back at 285. So I bought it for 285. And now I think it's close to 500K in, yeah, it's only, what is it, 2018? So it's only been four years and it's already up to 500, about 500K. That's like 50 grand a year you've made. (laughs) That's a trip, man. That's awesome. (laughs) Your story has been awesome. You've been blessed to have a dad like yours. A dad who saw his daughter and said, just contributed to her. Yeah, you were the one that listened, like you said. Uh, of all your siblings, you're the one who is there paying attention and noticing and being aware of what was going on. And you picked up quite a bit from your dad. And I'm, it's a blessing to have someone like that in your life. Um, I'm assuming he retired in Florida for tax for tax reasons. Yeah. Uh, tax reasons, healthcare reasons, but yeah. Tax, healthcare, beach, the weather for the most part. Now, does, does he come? Is he like? Does he come home during hurricane season? You know, um, my cousin who's lived in Orlando all his life, he's like, the rest of the United States thinks we're holding on to a palm tree. But honestly, sometimes the hurricane's just a drizzle and then it goes away. And I was there uh, back last year in August when they first moved. And it was during a hurricane, but literally it just rained for half a day and then it was gone. So it was very interesting to get it from a Florida perspective. You know what I think they do? Like, because in Hawaii, they say it's super expensive. In Florida, they say it's hurricanes like crazy. I think they tell us that to keep us away from them. So we, like, I think in the island, they tell the mainlanders that. Because I just came back. I mean, the, whole, the, the flight in the hotel, yeah. But the lifestyle yeah. was, well, we're in California. So we're just, <laughs> maybe that's why. <laughs> But hey, you've been an awesome guest. I, I really appreciate you sharing your journey. I'm sure my listeners can find value in your story. 
I always end these podcasts the same way. It is all about financial success. And the words financial success mean different things to different people. They mean different things to the same person, depending on when you ask them. Mm-hmm. But today, you know, in 2022, Cindy, mm-hmm. what do the words financial success mean to you? And I don't mean from a dollar amount. I mean from a quality of life. Ooh, financial success, I would say, is... That's really hard to say in one sentence, but I would say whatever it is you value in your life and you can fulfill those values as you manage your finances, if you can stick to your values and live that kind of life, I I think you'd be financially successful. Maybe you don't make a million dollars a year, but if you can choose to put the money where your values are, that's where you'll find the most success and the most joy and happiness in your life because it's not just how much money there is in your bank it's really where you where you invest that money whether that's in relationships or travel friendships whatever it is that you value I really think that's where you find the most financial success so listeners Cindy has never heard the show before but you guys have heard me talk about a money purpose plan And I don't call it a budget, Cindy. I call it a money purpose plan. And all that is, is aligning your spending with your values. Mm -hmm. If you have your spending aligned with your values, nine times out of 10, you'll be living a very happy life. So you just hit the nail on the head and made me look like a genius. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks a lot, Cindy. You've been an awesome guest. I I am so glad I met you in Toastmasters. You uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope you found value in this. Have a blessed week. Bye. Bye. Payne Boye is a financial professional with Homes Financial of and Securities offered through Bertha Fisher and Company Financial Services, Inc. BFCFS member FINRA FIPC Homes Financial is independent of BFCFS.